Here at Restoration, we want to encounter Jesus and have him speak into our lives and call us out of the places of darkness in our lives and into places where we can bring light, love, hope, and peace. And so we've been in this series called Living Happy, and today we're going to look at a scripture that actually sounds more like a news story from a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you saw this on StarTribune.com or StPaulPioneerPress.com. It probably made the news, but um, a couple weeks ago, the top two leaders of the Minnesota Sports Facilities Authority kind of a big name, are resigning under pressure from legislature. So this Sports Facilities Authority Commission, whatever, was formed in 2012 to oversee U.S. Bank Stadium since like almost half a billion dollars in taxpayer money was involved. They thought they should have some people there. So this little committee was formed, and as part of the deal of this committee, they got access to two executive suites in U.S. Bank Stadium that could each hold up to 18 people, okay? So the thought was from the Minnesota Sports Authority Commission, they thought, well, you know, we need these two suites so that we can market, you know, the U.S. Bank Stadium for all the other events besides football, you know, the monster trucks and the concerts and what have you. So anyway, what they found out was through some rumors, that lots of these tickets were not going towards people that were potentially going to use the thing, but were going to the commission or their friends themselves. So they decided to do a little audit, and as you can imagine, the audit came back uh, a little incomplete. Of the 12 events that they were looking at and 430-some tickets, only 80% of those tickets actually became accounted for. And about 100, 29% of those tickets were actually used for marketing the stadium. Isn't that great that, you know, that the commission that would use the events to market, so 29% under a third. Now about 16% were used on the commission or the staff themselves, and you wanna guess? 45%, almost half of those tickets were used for friends and family of the commission. So when asked a little bit further about this, the executive director said, well, well, it's really common for the leftover tickets to be given out after we've tried to get the people there for any given event. And the actual chair did apologize. They said, the, the, the audit said, you know, they didn't break a state law, but they did break one of the core ethical virtues. However, the chairman of this team um, said that, you know, I apologize, but really, giving tickets away to friends and family is a standard practice for such stadiums. So what do you think? I'm sure it's got to give you a reaction. Are you like, well, you know, hey, if it's standard practice, it's totally fine. Or, this is wrong all the time. Or, well, it kind of depends. Or, are you thinking, with just a little tiny voice in the back of your head, man, that is totally wrong, but I really wish I was friends and family. (laughs) Just maybe for one or two of those events. You know, those are expensive tickets. I mean, it's been said for a long, long, long time that there is a connection between money and happiness. And many of us think that if we're not happy because of the amount of money we have, it's just because we don't have enough. And 
people have been ta- saying stories about this and researching this for a long, long time. Time Magazine or Time.com in June 2014 said, oh yeah, Countries that are wealthier are happier than poor countries, and people that are wealthy are happier than people who aren't wealthy. Now, what they couldn't pinpoint is, is that country happier because it has a better infrastructure, it has uh, more police and, and hospitals and better quality of life, or is it just because they have more money? And there's two different kinds of happiness they found out. One is, is generally life good? and that does trajectory go on the money path. The more money you have, the more you often say, life is good. However, the second kind of happy is, am I satisfied with life? Am I content? Do I believe I am going to the places and that I really believe I'm supposed to go? And that is not linear with money. So, what does this exactly look like? So part of how we're gonna look at the stories that Jesus tells today is through some candy. So does anyone really, really, really like chocolate? I mean, really, really like chocolate. Okay, so I'm, man, there's so many choices. Um, All right, and you're willing to stake 12 candy bars on it? Yes? All right, well, uh, let's see, what's your name? Nadia. Nadia. So in order to have this candy today, you need to eat all of them in the next 15 minutes. Okay. (laughs) Oh yeah, all hers. Well, if she likes chocolate, then why wouldn't more be better? So then, all right, so now, I saw your hand go up. Now, in order to have these, you cannot eat them until I tell you. You just have to save them. You have to use all of your self-control and willpower to not eat those 12 candy bars, okay? So, in another sermon illustration, I would have you open it and just hold it in your hand, but not today. You can just... So, have you started yet? Not sure? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, you can talk about that. So we're going to this place in Luke, chapter 16, and I, I appreciate Luke as a writer. Each of these four gospel writers tells just a little different angle about Jesus, and um, yeah, you can t- talk if you want to do that, but Luke puts two stories back-to-back that may have actually occurred back-to-back, and they're both on people wasting other people's money. The first one is about two sons, and the younger son goes and demands from his father that he has his inheritance, but his father is still alive, so he is wasting his father's money. Jesus tells that story in response to people being upset over Jesus welcoming corrupt government workers who are taking advantage of the system and the people. I mean, they call them tax collectors, but that's what they were. They were corrupt government workers employed by Rome, taking advantage of the system and the people and other types of sinners. And Jesus is welcoming these people. The the religious leaders don't like it, and so Jesus tells this story to the crowds in response to that. Now, the religious leaders, the disciples, and other people are included. The second story happens right after it. It's the one we're gonna look at today. 
It is told about a manager who wastes his boss's money. And this was told in response to the religious leaders who loved money. And he tells it to his disciples, or actually anyone that would call themselves a follower of God. And the meaning of that story is what we're gonna find out. The meaning of the first story is about a, a father who shows undeserved kindness to his sons. So let's look at what this second story is about. It's Luke chapter 16. We'll have it on the screen, but maybe you want to take your own notes so you can go ahead and follow along. Jesus told his disciples, there was a certain rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? I mean, my master is taking my job away. I'm not strong enough to dig manual labor and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I don't have my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of the master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And the person said, 900 gallons of olive oil. It's like three years worth of produce and resources. And he said, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Cut it in half. Then he turned to the second, or he brought the second in, and said, how much do you owe? This person said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. It's about seven and a half years worth of resources. And he said, quick, take your bill and make it 800 take about two years off. And the master had him locked up. That's not what Jesus says. The master commended this dishonest manager because he had acted so shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees who love money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. God, I pray that you would work by your Holy Spirit to take my words away, to leave your truth to leave us and help us to be people who are changed and conform to you. Amen. Well, talk about fun, fun stories that Jesus tells. I don't think I've ever taught on this story, and I think it's probably because it's such an unnerving story. Part of it, I think, is unnerving because what we, you know, there's just parts of it that don't make sense, and the other part that's unnerving is because what we do understand, we don't like what we hear. I mean, Jesus tells a story of a dishonest manager who wastes money and then gets commended for it because he wastes more money. 
that, that doesn't make sense. That should be the person wastes the money and they try to cover it up. That's how the world would work. Or the person wastes money and begs for forgiveness and maybe gets it, maybe doesn't. But that's not what happens. The, pa- the person wastes this wealthy tycoon's money and then in the moment where he's going to be found out, he decides to waste more of it so that he can have benefits for himself. And it's a parable, it's a story, so Jesus might be exaggerating, it might not be true, but it is giving a truth. It's giving a truth that this person was generous, that this person was wise, and that this person did anything they could, call it creative, call it profitable, call it devious, they did anything they could to safeguard their own future. And Jesus says, people that love God should learn from this. Kind of makes me wonder what Matthew, the tax collector, one of Jesus' disciples, and maybe Simon the zealot who hated the Romans, like what an imaginary conversation could have been between them. Hey, Simon. Hey, Matthew. Like, what do you think Jesus meant by by this? Well, are you asking me? Why should I know? Well, I mean, you were a dishonest tax collector. What? Uh, um, well, uh, mm, mm. well, I was, yeah. I don't know. I don't think Jesus has ever taught like this. Yeah, I don't know. Jesus even went further, not only saying, learn from this person that's that's dishonest, but he also then said, or he basically criticized the people that live in the light, the people that follow God, by saying, you don't, you don't try as hard, you don't work as hard, you don't, you don't make an effort to secure a future that would actually matter, an eternal future. So Jesus first says learn. He might be saying verse nine like this. Use the money of this world, which so easily corrupts, to benefit others and gain friends, so that when it is gone, you can be assured of an eternal dwelling. Use the money of the world that is so corrupt, or so easily corrupts, to benefit others and gain friends, so that when it's gone, you might be insured an eternal dwelling. See, I, I believe that money won't make us happy, and yet... Money can contribute to our happiness if we manage it well. Because we're all managers. We all have a master. And one day we're all not going to be managers anymore. And he is going to give an account. And it's up to us to decide how that will happen. And this manager is complimented. He's a person of the world so he doesn't necessarily follow God, who leverages the resources that he was given to the best of his ability to secure the best possible future for himself. I want you to think about that for a moment. Here's someone who doesn't follow God, who decides to leverage the resources that they've been given to the best of their ability to secure the best possible future for himself. In a life that people of God know, ultimately won't last. How much more 
would we want to learn from this? How much more could we learn from this? Because we've been called out of the world. We've been called by the one who is light, by the glory of God, by Jesus, the one we just praised, the one who is Savior, who is Lord, who is master of everything, and will judge the heavens and the earth. And he will give an account. And I want to hear, well done. So what can we learn? What can we learn? Well, I think very simply how we manage the resources that we've been given is a test. And how we handle what belongs to someone else will ultimately determine what we are given and how we will handle what will be ours. And the way that you and I acquire, manage, and give money in this world is a test run for eternity. So I think there's fourfold principle, there's a fourfold principle that works out in this managing it well. And the first one, you might not like, it'll depend. I'm sure I'll get responses. I think Jesus is saying, according to this parable, that one of the principles of managing it well is to gain all you can. To gain all you can, because gaining more will bring you praise. How many stories does Jesus say about people that have talents and people were given talents? It's, it's, talent is a measurement, it's a resource. Yes, we have natural talents, but at that time, that's talking about a measurement of money. And they were given this, and they were given this, and they were given this. And what people did with it brought them praise. If they gained more, they got a well done, good and faithful servant. Over and over and over in scripture, Jesus talks about money and he talks about being faithful with it and he talks about gaining more and in each case, he is talking about getting praise. A well done. This guy decides to act in a situation where he simply could have said, oh, I'm a victim victim of his own choice, but still, he could have just done nothing. How many of us, when we get into a tight spot, freeze? Because we're afraid of what will happen. And yet, this guy doesn't freeze. He acts. He leverages the resources he's been given to the best of his ability to secure the best possible future for himself. And we know that it's just an earthly future. He, he moves forward for us, I think it would mean, well, I think some of the reason we don't like to talk about this first principle of gaining all we can because it's like, oh, money is, is not spiritual. We shouldn't talk about money, even though Jesus does. Or pastors are just too afraid to talk about money. Or people are too worried about making too much money. Or they're worried about making not enough money. But yet, money is immoral, meaning it's neither good nor bad. Scripture is very clear that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is just a resource. It's just there. We decide if it's good or bad. What we do with it decides if it's good or bad. But money can be a great resource for good. Imagine all the things in the world that money has done, not the people behind the money. With money, we can feed the hungry. With money, we can buy clean water for people that have never had it. With money, we can send missionaries across the country and across the world. With money, we can give clothes to people who don't have them. With money, we can provide shelter for homeless, for wanderers, for orphans. 
With money, we can give sight to the blind or to the almost blind, whether it's through a surgery or through glasses or through a miracle of God. With money, we can heal crippled people. With money, we can welcome seekers of truth and faith and hope and love. Money is neither good nor bad. In fact, sometimes money is the lowest common denominator in transactions with people. Maybe that's why Jesus talks about it so much. Now, I believe we shouldn't gain all we can at the expense of our health or our life or someone else's health or someone else's life. I believe Jesus is very clear on having integrity in our relationships with people and with money. And so it's not just get all you can at whatever way you can. No, there are some boundaries that he is very clear on. But I believe that scripture is also clear that God has given each of us talents. He's given each of us gifts and he wants us to use those to their fullest potential. That he is not a a hard driving master. That he is a good, good father who has no greater joy than seeing his children become who he already created them to be. And he goes, ah, that's mine. That one's mine. Do you see see what they're doing? Oh, she's mine. Do you see how she's using that for good? Do you see how he's doing that for good? That's who God is like. He's not the master in this story. So we should gain all we can. And gaining more will bring us praise. But we can't stop there. I think the scripture is clear that we need to give all we can. See, giving will bring you joy, and giving more will bring you a lot of joy. Some of you believe this, but when Jesus is asked to pay this illegitimate tax that Rome is imposing, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. We might say it like, give to Washington what is Washington, but give to God what is God's. Are we willing to give all we can? See, people who who didn't like what I said about gaining more might like this one, but the people who did like that little commentary on gaining more might be perplexed about giving more, especially second, because don't I have to save? I I need to save before I can give, right? Except that oftentimes the people who have that mentality say, you know, someday I'm going to give to church, someday I'm going to give to charity, but then that someday keeps not coming because at the end of the month, it always seems to run out, which doesn't really make us happy when it runs out, and then we don't give, which also doesn't make us happy because, I mean, even people that aren't Christians have seen the research on what giving can do. Professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia was a co-author of a book called Happy Money, She says this, she says, the paradox of money is although sometimes earning more of it will enhance our well-being, we become happier by giving it away rather than spending it on ourselves. Here's a college professor who's saying, we become happier by giving it away rather than spending it on ourselves. In fact, she was so impacted by this that she started handing out cash 
on campus to students to give it away to see what would happen. And she started handing it out to have them spend it on themselves. And she watched the reactions and studied the reactions and reported the actions. And you know what she found out? These people came back to her, even though it was given to them, people who gave it away had more joy, more happiness than the people who spent it on themselves. So she decided, because this, she was so, prof- she was so struck by this research, she decided, what if this happens, does this happen in other parts of the world? So she went across Canada, then she went to Africa, then she went to Uganda, and you know what she found out? It was across the board, it didn't matter how rich or poor a country was, that when people were given money, if they would give it away, it would be happier. In fact, she decided to then take this and say, well, what if it was your own money? And what if you gave away your own money? And it didn't matter if it was someone else's money or if it was your own money. Just the very act of giving it away enhanced people's well-being, made people live happier. Here's some random professor that's basically discovered what Jesus said a long, long, long time ago. It's better to give than receive. You are more blessed to give than receive, Acts 20, 35. When we give all we can, it brings us joy. The third principle I see is to save all you can. Saving will bring you peace. If you've gained all you can and you give all you can, when you save, it will bring you peace. So, how's, how are those candy bars coming? I'm gaining all I can. Oh. oh. I had a feeling that was going to happen. Aaron, did you decide to eat them all? No, no. You See, you already know the principle. It's not even like we have to do the experiment that after about the second or third or fourth, depending on your love of chocolate, that eating all of these at once will not, will not make the experience lovely. Right? I know, I know. It works better with middle schoolers, but <laughs> my kids were fighting me for these candy bars, trust me. They were like, well, are you going to have Kit Kats? Because I'm all over that. No, maybe not. But at some point, why, why this is so clear to understand with candy bars, and we, it's not clear to understand with money, I'm not sure. But two people inherently know, if I hold back, the experience will actually be more enjoyable later. And if I consume it all right now, it won't be as enjoyable. What's true for chocolate is true for life. I mean, the Jews instituted this thing called Sabbath, and on this one day a week, they did not do these things. And all of a sudden, it became more sacred. It became more set apart. It became more special because they held back. That's what saving all you can does. On top of the fact that it gives you peace of mind that someone's not going to have to take care of you later, it is this thing that can become sacred. It can become special. And the fourth principle that I believe is in this is that we live on less than we can. We live on less than we can because living on less will bring us freedom. My friend has a shirt that says, living simply so others can simply live. It's the idea that when we live on less, we're free. 
We're not bound to take care of and manage all these things, all these pieces of our lives or all these possessions that we have or to ensure everyone or to make sure everyone is in top condition. How many of you have a brand new car or had a brand new car and remember that you'd stress out about washing it? And then after it became about eight or 10 or whatever years old, then all of a sudden it went like maybe a week or two or three or four and you didn't worry about washing it. The same principle is true when we live on less than we can. Furthermore, God created the human mind with this unbelievability, unbelievable ability to adapt quickly. So if you hang a new picture in a room in your house and you leave it in that spot, after a certain number of weeks, you know what happens, don't you? You stop noticing the picture because your brain quickly adapts to it. It's why... Some of us can't remember the pr- Christmas presents that we so desperately wanted a few months ago, and now we're not even sure what they were because our brain adjusts so quickly to having those things. Sure, that the new dress or the new clothes or the new gadget might give you a temporary thrill, but your brain so quickly adapts to it that you start taking it for granted, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. This is just how the mind works. And it leads to that principle that Jesus ends with. See, no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Remember, money is immoral. It's neither good nor bad. What we do with money is good or bad. There's the way that you take care of your money? Does the way that you manage your money demonstrate your faithfulness to God? Does the way that you spend money advance God's kingdom? Does it store up treasures in heaven? Or does it talk about all the things that you or I want? And I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself in that too. What does what you do and how you manage money reflect what you believe about the kingdom of God? That's what Jesus is saying. See, money is to be used for so much bigger purposes than just taking care of our own interests. Luke goes over and over and over these themes of the rich becoming poor or the proud becoming humble. And this is just another one of those themes, meaning that when we say yes to Jesus, we have a radically different view of money and what it does for the world. And when we can be completely transformed by them, by that, we're not afraid to talk about it. We're not afraid to use it. We're not afraid to have it. We're not afraid to manage it. And we're not afraid to give it because we have a completely different perspective on it. It's why I believe in the book of Acts, the Christian community was able to see that they had all things in common and therefore share in ways that seem ridiculous to us now because their view had been transformed. And our wealth is not our wealth. Everything we own belongs to God. Everything. God is the owner. We are the managers. And yet, God is much kinder, much more benevolent, much more full of grace, and much wiser than the master of this Story. And I don't know what kind of view of God you have, 
But if you're anything like me, God is someone that you had to earn love and respect for. And if you did certain things, then maybe you would get a well done. Maybe you would get an I'm proud of you. But that is not the God that Jesus reflects in the scripture. The God that Jesus reflects in the scripture that he talks to, that he emulates, is a father that is delighted and devoted in him and to him regardless of what he does. And from that moment of identity of Jesus knowing whose he is, he is able to then share. He is able to then give. He is able to then live in ways that bring praise and honor and well done. But it starts with whose he is, not what he does. The same is true for our identity and the same is true for our money. And if you've never seen that relationship that God is this wise, gracious, giving, holy father who regardless of what you've done, loves you, likes you, and wants life with you. Know that he does. That this is just one story in a whole lifetime of stories. That it does matter how we manage it. Because if we're wise and generous with it, if we manage it well, trust me, we will be happier. But if we see who our father is, And that what we do is not to earn his love, but a reflection of his love. We will be ultimately happy. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that we would wrestle with this story. I pray that it wouldn't be a one and done, that you would use it to get through to our heart. That giving would bring us joy and that gaining would bring us praise and that saving would bring us peace and that living on less would bring us freedom. But God, that you are the father that we have always wanted. That we don't have to be afraid of being jobless and homeless. That you, God, have given us life that you've put good things in us, and you say that over and over in the scriptures. God, that you gave your people spiritual gifts, that you gave them resources that you wanted them to use. You said you created them for good work, that you prepared in advance for us to do, and I pray that as your children, we would do that good work, and we would work hard at it. God, that we would play hard, and that we would rest well, and that we would party well, but God, that we would work hard. Not to earn your love, but as a reflection of who you are. And if we don't know that love, if we've never experienced that relationship with you, God, I pray that we would say yes to you today, that we'd say, oh God, I want that kind of a relationship, that because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, I don't have to earn it, but I can be redeemed with Jesus. I can be restored through that relationship, through that sacrifice that he has given of his life so that I may have life. And I pray that God, you would give me life and that I would live my life with you, that I would seek to honor you with everything I do, that money wouldn't be this far off, compartmentalized, secret corner of my life, but that would be a very part of my being, that just that my mind with you and that my body with you and that my relationships with you, God, would be a part of my life with you, that my money would be a part of my life with you, because ultimately, God, it is your money 
and I seek to honor you with all I do. In the name of Jesus, we pray.